Hey, Untangled Faith listeners, I am sharing this bonus audio with you today to give you a taste of some of the things I'm sharing in the Untangled Faith Patreon community. This is a conversation I had with Emily Snook at the end of December of 2022 to talk about some of the biggest stories of the year in religion news. There's no way we're going to be able to cover everything that's important that happened this year. We're going to miss some things, um, but it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what was on our lists. I just, I'm writing down one more thing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 12, I'm like 15 things on my list. Oh, wow. Um, but, and I'm not going to say that they are the most important or the top. I'm just going to say they are some influential things. And unfortunately, bad news makes a bigger splash, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it's important to pay attention to bad news because I think bad, paying attention to bad news, I'm going to say bad news in quotes, it's paying attention to the news and it can make Mm -hmm. us better, better people. Whether you, you agree with me? I I do. I I like that you came with notes and I came (laughs) with my brain. You came with your brain. Usually it's the opposite. Usually I've like made a bunch of notes. Um, I do have a couple of things saved on my phone though. So, so my, my trick to figuring out a few things is like, I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to do an advanced search of like certain religion journalists by mm-hmm. month. And I'm like, what were they talking about in January and February and March? Oh, that's smart. I, um, and I looked at I the kept, top ones, not everyone. So I kept looking things up to see if they actually happened this year or not, because time is a flat circle and <laughs> I just have no idea like well, when yeah. things happened. Yeah, absolutely. So we're not going to go in chronological order, but like, as you were thinking of like top or influential or things that were like top of your mind, as you thought about 2022, what is the first thing you thought of that you want that you would mention? I want to actually kind of zoom out from what our normal let's zoom out world is and and also have a little bit of recency bias. Oh, so um, much. <laughs> I I think the the protests in Iran coupled with the protests in France which are really different sides of the same coin, right? Like forced um adherence to religious code and then forced secularism. And and both of those things are kind of converging on Muslim women or just women who are living in a Muslim country like Iran. And so um, I I think it's really important to kind of look at those bigger scope things um, and see what they can tell us about. That's a huge deal. Where we're at because um, it's telling. It's this is happening all over the world in secular world and progressive world in different religions Mm -hmm. yeah and and to be very baptist for a minute like like we should care about the religious liberty of muslim women who want to wear a hijab in europe and can't um or of women who are under an islamic nationalism um who want to choose to not wear hijab and can't because religious liberty is is a is a human rights issue 
but for us as as believers in Jesus and 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 a, a Baptist idea is the idea of soul freedom, right? And mm-hmm. that's where freedom of religion comes from. And and so that we want every person to be able to have that expression of their soul freedom of conviction. Um, and and so and so for us as Christians in America, like both sets of those women um, in in another religion are things that we should care about. Oh, Emily, um, this has implications. I'm so glad you yeah. mentioned that because I think it's easier to see that and be like, of course, people should not be forced to have to follow somebody else's religious convictions or that, be able to, and still be able to participate in society. Right. And, and what, and how does that influence the way we think about religious liberty in our own context? And I'm thinking about Dobbs mm-hmm. and the the laws in different states that in some horrifying ways we cannot look away from and see how making things illegal Mm -hmm. uh, is becoming as problematic here on the same, we're starting on a spectrum, you know, we're not killing people. Right. Mm -hmm. But are we willing to like throw people in jail for not following our religious convictions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I think Dobbs, the, the marriage law that was just signed a couple of days ago, like, which, I mean, I kind of recommend David French on it. Like we so much constantly because it is that balance of, of like religious liberty is everybody's religious liberty. And so that means coexisting together with people who have different convictions and 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 also like having a respect and an honor for how they live out their own convictions right and because here's the thing about it Amy is that if we really believe what we believe is true mm-hmm. then other people having having a freedom of choice and in, in in how they want to live their lives shouldn't be a threat to us yeah. because what if what we're offering is as beautiful and true as we say that it is then there is no threat to that there's just an invitation and yeah. so and so like i'm going to celebrate the maximum amount of soul freedom for the maximum amount of people and work for that whether that's women taking off a hijab in Iran or putting one on in France or people getting married or choosing not to participate in someone's wedding or or trying to nuance abortion policy that has respect for every person's life and every person's convictions and and how do we do that in a pluralistic society like it it's harder Emily, I'm just going to say that pluralistic idea is that how do we do that? Right. This is, this yeah. isn't a conversation we, that is starting more. And I think it's going to just continue to become more and more important. We, it, part of, it's part of loving our neighbors and, yeah. and that difference between threatening somebody into the kingdom mm-hmm. and inviting them. And then, mm-hmm. and also the understanding that, yeah, yeah. The Bible says that narrow is the road. But mm-hmm. I also believe that the kingdom is wider than we think. And when we make mm-hmm. everything a heaven or hell disqualify you from being in community with me issue that isn't spelled out in the Bible. I mean, that mm-hmm. the guy on the cross next to Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says mm-hmm. today, you know, you're, you'll be with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to keep having these conversations and think about what it yeah. means to hold on to our convictions and also 
in a way that leaves space for Mm -hmm. our neighbors that are convicted different in a different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes, I mean, we're probably going to get very narrowly focused on white evangelical American. Yeah. That's our world stuff Mm -hmm. in a minute, but, but I think having that broad scope view helps us to, to really see where we are clearly, because it's not just Iran. It's not just here where we have a rise in, in Christian nationalism. Like there's a rise in Hindu nationalism in, um, in India and violence and state sponsored violence against Muslims and Sikhs and Christians. Um, and then there's, you know, the nationalism of Russian orthodoxy and how that's playing out with the, you, the war in Ukraine and the Ukrainian church that is, um, there's the Ukrainian church and there's the Russian Ukrainian church and, and how that nationalism is working itself out there. And, and there's, you know, things happening in South America that, that kind of parallel all of that stuff. And so, and so recognizing that like this, this thing that we're dealing with in sort of our, um, our little narrow focus of like, there is a troubling and dangerous rise in explicit white Christian nationalism within yeah, American that's how evangelicalism. There's also a rise in just nationalism and religious nationalism specifically, generally. Yeah, it's a global thing. It, it's a it's a global thing. It's across um it's across nations, it's across different religions. Religious liberty is a is is not our natural state as humans. Yeah. And there's um, interesting gatekeeping that is happening there. Yeah. And if, if you look globally, I think we see some more of that, the results of what happens. If you look like in Europe, we mm-hmm. look at Brexit and we look at what happened when, you know, they're like, you know, we just want to be us. Mm-hmm. And then you fail to see the beauty of all of the contributions in the society that mm-hmm. suddenly like they're... <laughs> Like, oh my goodness. Yeah. When we shut the door here and we drew that really hard line, Mm -hmm. we made everything worse and Mm -hmm. we made everything harder Mm -hmm. because we failed to see all the interconnectedness. I mean, and you also see the the implications of it in playing out in India. So, like, for example, there's it listen, it it's fine for you to become a Christian if you're lower caste. Or if you're even like in middle caste, but but then you stop getting help from the caste system because you're outside of it now. And so like, no, you don't technically have to be Hindu. But but if you want if you want this the societal structure that is enforced both through mores and through laws to to benefit you, then then you better be inside of it. Um, and so even when it's not resulting in things like violence and like say Kashmir or whatever, like there's, there's still, there's still a cost, um, to, to individual people, um, and, a, and an oppression and a dehumanization of whole classes of people. Mm-hmm. And, and like, man, that should make us nervous. We should, we should not look at that and say, well, okay, that won't be us. Like Christians won't do that. Like, um, uh, the 20th century would beg to differ. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's the thing I've been thinking about of, you know, now that we've been in a pandemic for a while and 
um, and the the kind of fracturing of the global psyche um, that um, that COVID did is that there's I think a lot of time that comes out as fear response, right? And and so there's there's been this rise of with a lot of things factoring into it of an us versus them mentality yeah. just across the board, not just in our little world. And I think that if we want to be prophetic witnesses to the gospel in a world that is that's dividing up in us versus them in all of these different ways in all these different places, then I wrote I wrote down the the quote, but I forgot to write down who said it. So this isn't me. But um the gospel is not us versus them. It's it's God with us for them. Mm. And so we're we're not in an us versus them fight for our survival god has invaded human history to be with us for the sake of them Mm -hmm. and and so if that's how we're interacting with people who have different convictions in us and all those things then it takes out the threat and it also it also offers them that beauty and that goodness that i was talking about before and so and so i think it's really important for us to zoom out and then also kind of zoom in and and examine ourselves and see if what we're doing looks like those other things. Yeah. Those are good points. Are you ready to zoom in on white yeah, let's evangelical in. American uh happenings? Um, I I would argue one of the biggest things in the news because of like where we are located in our own mm-hmm. evangelical world is the guidepost report from the SBC yeah. that came out in May. Mm-hmm. That there was so much tied up to that mm-hmm. finding out that they, that leaders in the SBC had, did have a list of people that were credibly accused Yeah, when they said that it was not legal for them to do so over and over and over again to survivors. Yeah. yeah. That at the same time they were saying that they actually had that. And then there was names in that report that people did not know mm-hmm. about that had some very serious allegations of abuse that they had per- perpetrated based on their power differentials and, and other things. Mm-hmm. And that came out in May. And then what time, what time of year do they have the, what time of year do they have their annual meeting? In June, June, just a few weeks difference. Yeah. And then, so, and then around the time that June thing happened, the daily wire reporting that started calling mm-hmm. into question and Megan Basham's like, mm-hmm ethical questionable behavior as a journalist and how she dealt with Mm -hmm. survivors and questioning the validity of the guidepost report questioning survivors in a way that is frankly horrifying the the ripple effects of this are still Mm -hmm. happening there is a new lawsuit that's been attached to this that it feels like um and the wire reporters have investigation definitely if we're talking about American evangelicalism, the the number one thing is is the guidepost report. Cause it's, I mean, it it's like evangelical spotlight. It's a weird thing, like, because you know, this is my world. Um yeah. yeah. I was shocked and horrified and not surprised. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the conversation that I was having with people over and over and over again um, who have been, but then I, you know, people who I know who, I mean, they just couldn't believe it. 
it was just, I mean, it was earth shattering, I think, to a lot of people. And 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 there's this there's this tension of, okay, well, like that came out in May and like nothing's happened. And and that's true. And then also I think like, you know, there are people like Krista Brown who have been doing this for decades. Um, and there are people like me who have been, you know, doing this for seven, eight years, whatever, like in this sort of specific Was that way. reporting the first time yeah. Krista was like specifically mentioned as like in a way that was like, she's saying the truth. Yeah, like officially. pretty much. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't in an official like way, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, there've been individual officials who have um, done that, but um, I'm not really sure, but I don't want to speak for her, but it's a, it's a vindication and then it's also like it's heartbreaking it's it's heartbreaking yeah and so and so I but I also think that there are there are a lot of people who just they are just now starting to see things that they just weren't capable of seeing before and 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 so I'm in a position of like like one day I'm like, burn it all down, sell all the seminaries, like we're done. Like, um, like we were born in slavery, we're gonna die in sex abuse scandal, and like God have mercy on us. Mm-hmm. And then some days I'm like, okay, but like, what if we could be a picture of actual like reparative redemption? Mm-hmm. And that would be like the like you know southern baptists are all about like you know missions and evangelism and and the gospel above all and but like what if we could actually live that in a way where we had costly repentance that was transformative and reparative and restorative like that would be us taking the gospel to all nations and so i hold those two things in tension um and 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 my thing is like whichever one happens is is good with me. Let God let God work it out, right? Um, but but I think it's hard for someone who doesn't. I think there are a lot of people who have have seen have seen the darkness for so long mm-hmm. that that they don't that it it's hard to have grace for people who are just kind of blinking and adjusting to it you know what yeah. i mean yeah um well we've and, seen some hope i mean yeah the, and so, the elections that have happened at the annual yeah. meeting have pointed to some the, the members that are showing up the, i mean the I, people in the congregation fluctuate between it's all just surface like people aren't really ready to do what's required of us mm-hmm. like i fluctuate between that and we we didn't get to this place in six months right right we got here and it'll take longer we got here in 200 years mm-hmm. or however many years 150 years whatever we have a lot of untangling to do about valuing people over institutions and understanding that like the mission does not make sin okay yeah um and all those things, like those things are woven into our DNA. And so the question is, if we're 
going to be able to sort of unwind that and become who we say that we are. Yeah. Um, or, or if we're going to give some sort of like lip service, like cosmetic things and some policies, and it's not going to really be that costly for the most part. Um, or it, it, if God is just going to turn us over to, to let our own sin be the end of us. Like one, one of those three things is going to happen. And, and like every day I feel different about it. Um, yeah, I think we hold both of it. Uh, it's yeah. Both the thing of like, uh, we really need to do more than this little tiny thing and the, okay, but I had to get here one step at a time myself. Mm-hmm. And if somebody just required me to run a marathon before I was even able to do a 5k, I wouldn't have done anything. Yeah. And yeah. that's a tension. But when lives are literally at risk, it feels right. like or there's an urgency where mm-hmm. you you'd want to be like, come on, like, yeah. I was talking to my husband about the the lawsuit from Sills against the SBC and others. I was like, I am afraid this sort of lawsuit is going to cost people their lives literally. And I, I don't say that lightly. I say that the odds of that sort of thing happening and not just even in this specific case are high mm-hmm. because of the, it's just a, a devastating horrible situation to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is going to be a challenge for all of white evangelicalism and maybe the church at large um, in the world is really understanding power dynamics and, Mm -hmm. and defining abuse as abuse and not saying, and not getting fatigued by the word and the conversation it'd be easy to get fatigued. It'd be easy to get desensitized. And I, I see those that are worried. I see those that are protecting their power more pushing back about, Hey, when you call everything abuse, then nothing is abuse. And people are saying that we're using the word too loosely. And Mm -hmm. I mostly see that from people that have something to lose Mm -hmm. power and influence wise, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever the case may be. But I do think this is going to be a big theme going forward. What does this mean? Who are we trusting to define this for us? What is an affair? What's the difference between an affair and an abusive relationship? And how do power dynamics play into that? We need to listen to those that have done the study, uh, mental health professionals. Um, Mm -hmm. There are people that have studied these things that we need to defer to Mm -hmm. and you have any thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, I I think the probably my last thing to think about it is that like there's I've been having this conversation for a while in an SBC world, and the main pushback that I've gotten um, from people who I think are good people who want to do the right thing and really do feel feel like abuse happened and should be dealt with, but but there's always this pushback of, but we're doing all of these other good things. And I just want to say like, I, like as a Southern Baptist growing up, I was taught to take the scripture seriously mm-hmm. and to take the gospel seriously. And, and I cannot find 
in in the Bible where God sees his people causing harm and says, but it's okay because you're doing these other good things. Like that, that's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is like, even these things that we do are not good. <laughs> and, but Jesus, but God being rich in mercy has sent Jesus to, to transform those things through costly sacrifice and to make right everything that has been wrong. And so if we're going to paper over bad things for the sake of good things and call that the gospel, then we might as well just bring every missionary home Mm -hmm. because that, because that ain't it. I want our focus to be what, where can we name sin fully and unabashedly and then be busy about repenting of it and repairing it so that those good things are not paper yeah. over a false gospel that does not take sin seriously. One of the big stories of the year that I feel like hasn't got the attention that it should have, and maybe it's just because of all the things in the world, is Nancy mm-hmm. French's reporting on Canicuck. Mm-hmm. Um, the Canicuck yeah. camp is probably the most influential Christian camp in the United States. And yeah. in regards to the amount of uh, reach that they have, the number of campers that go there and the number of Christian influencers that send their children there. Yeah. I, um, it is very expensive. It's very, I was going to say, it's I like the never, elite place for the fancy folks to send. I was never cool enough or rich enough for Canicook, um, but it, it it is very culturally influential because it's where, it's where, Christians of privilege send their kids. Yeah. And they, I mean, Mm -hmm. I can think of really influential people. I feel like Jenny Allen uh, had a connection to Canicook. I know everybody, everybody, a lot of the Nashville evangelical industrial complex Um, send their children. It's very ubiquitous in Mm -hmm. white evangelical culture from the nineties to now. Like if you grew up in that time period, and you like sports or your parents had money or you, you know, were like the cool youth group kid. Um, like you I went feel like to Shauna and Nyquist was went there back in the day and maybe worked there as a high schooler. Yeah, I don't know. I could be making that up. All that to say, if you have money and you're somebody in the Christian world, it was very it's very common to send your kid to this camp. Mm-hmm. And what is really been disappointing is I don't, I haven't heard anything from any of those folks have influence and have the ear of a lot of people. Yeah. In fact, I think they probably, many of them just kept sending their kids Mm -hmm. and like, like the too long didn't read is that they had employees, one in particular, was there more than one? I know that one in particular, there's more than one, but they're really sexual abuser, um, has been, um, convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of making, instead of being really clear with parents and campers of what has happened to reach out and let people know and to find the full impact of what has happened and all of the survivors, mm-hmm. um, they shut down survivors. They like bribed them mm-hmm. to be quiet, bought them mm-hmm. like technology and asked them to sign away their right to speak about it, which mm-hmm. is 
horrifying. I mean, you think you send your kids away and it's scary anyways, you need to trust that they are in good hands. Yeah. And I am surprised that it hasn't, more people haven't cared about it. I think you're right about the the number of influential people with ties to Canacook who have said not a single word or who have said, I had a great experience there. Like that, that's like, like I, that, you know, it's back to the, you know, papering over your harm with good. Like when, when we judge whether or not something is bad based only on our relationship with it. Yeah and not on how it affects other people, then we're making ourselves the center of what is good and what is not good. And the least powerful ends up being the most hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually want to zoom out a little bit again and and talk about this in the context of another issue, which is the sort of QAnonification of talking about child abuse oh, um, yeah. within the American church. Like I... Um, people that know me know that I have been like, Hey, this is bad, (laughs) um, about QAnon being sort of mainstreamed into evangelical culture for years, like the whole save the children thing and Wayfair and, and basically like things from the dark depths of the dark web being mainstreamed into influencer Instagram and and Facebook memes and all these things and and so and so what happens is you have all of these conspiracies right about groomers and pedophiles and elementary schools and and all of these things and and there's and and they're based on nothing mm-hmm. um at best <laughs> right yeah. mm-hmm. but but it's it's sort of in the water it's in the air and it, and it kind of has been for a while and, and people haven't really noticed it they've they've acclimated to this it, it's like when there's like a okay so when i was a trainer in high school for football um there was a cat that kept getting into our visitor locker room area and storage area and it would get in there and it would pee on like the you know like the um sports like uh industrial carpet that's just like, uh, carpet over a concrete yes, floor right yes coach's office like our like our changing areas and storage areas smelled like cat pee and like you like i'd spray like disinfectant on it and like the disinfectant would like clean it but like the cat pee smell never really went away but i was in there every day and i got to where i kind of couldn't smell it anymore Right. Mm. But then other football teams would come and um and they would be like, there's something dead in here. <laughs> Cause they would walk in and smell it. And then I would have to be like, oh no, that it's cat pee in the carpet. It's cleaned. I promise we just can't get rid of the smell. Like, and and so I would forget that it smelled like cat pee because mm-hmm. it was just the air that I breathed every day. But when someone would walk in, they would smell it, right? And that's kind of what has happened with the sort of cunonification of child abuse in our culture mm-hmm. is that we've all been acclimated to the cappy. And, and so now when someone like Nancy French does real investigative journalism with real harm and real victims and real proof, right? Like legal mm-hmm. proof, then it's just lost 
because the air just already smells bad. Yeah. And so, and so the, these, these two things live together, right. Of this being underreported and not, and not mattering like it should. I think that coexists in a, in a, in a sort of symbiotic way with, with our noses being poisoned by cat pee of, of this sort of groomer pedophile hysteria yeah that that makes that makes it so that we don't either we think that everything is it or we think that nothing is it and so it's made us sort of culturally incapable of taking real Mm. things seriously because ridiculous things have been called real for so long does that make sense yeah it totally does i was clicking over here because i was remembering that shannon martin had shared a thread on twitter recently that was very uh connected to this it was way back way back and in november um and she said white evangelicals 10 out of 10 prefer what they can't see to what they can see Hmm. and it shows i'm going to read this she says there are people being oppressed dying from racism homophobia gun violence and poverty and rather talk about the end times five-year-olds are being shot to death during circle time they'd rather talk about the unborn an insurrection took place on live tv they'd rather talk about a riot they heard about from sean hannity while covid deaths were stacking up in hospital hallways they want to talk about wayfair cabinets and rumors of satanic cabals we have broken healthcare, broken schools, cities with, without safe drinking water, mass incarceration, modern slavery. They want to talk about focusing on joy, daily quiet time, not being divisive, and Israel. 90% do not know why they're supposed to throw this last one around, the Israel one. Yeah, it, it is so fascinating. We have the, the proof that something is actually happening. And there's much more of a, but what about the mm-hmm. theoretical thing that maybe most likely hundred percent was made up, right? There are some real things like the unborn is real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this Wayfair thing and all mm-hmm. these other things of, and Christians saying, you know, I have to support Trump because of child abuse and trafficking. Mm-hmm. Well, what, okay. What about this real child abuse case that's happening that yeah. nobody is talking about? even if we're going to distill it down just to like a religion thing, right? Like in Oklahoma, um, there, there's been this massive demonization of public schools by public figures. Um, and, Same in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And, and, and calling it protecting kids from, mm-hmm. from, pedophilia from grooming from crt whatever and it's couched in this religious language um and and so uh and 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 so when when you make a boogeyman out of protecting children then when they actually need protection well people don't believe in the boogeyman that's not real or they're so concerned from what's in front of them and so it has an effect on both sides of the camp right like on the people who buy into the conspiracy well like this over here is just a distraction and this is so much worse or people are just complacent or they're they just they don't know what to believe anymore and so they just Mm. don't care about any of it like whatever it's like everything's bad nothing's bad and and so that's why it matters 
for us to to speak with precision and honesty about what things are mm-hmm. and not demonize and like we talked about before the us versus them thing like if if we're going to sacrifice the truth in an us versus them culture war then the casualties of that war are going to be people who actually need those definitions to mean things mm-hmm. so yeah. so that so that when those things come up people understand can see and can act to protect them and so and so what's happened is we've had this confluence and and then things like i mean nancy french like her work is heroic like she basically like didn't have a job for years so she could investigate this Mm -hmm. and and the fact that like i mean i have mentioned it to people that i know in real life who sent their kids to Kanika this summer and they've never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I sent them the articles and they're like, Oh, well the, they didn't go to that camp. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't know how, but what about the fact that they have a very bad track record of knowing like, whether or not the campers like, are safe? Like, and, and we're in a place where like, you, you can't even have a conversation about it mm-hmm. because we're operating in a world where nothing means anything. Yeah. That's, it's just so gross. It's so gross. Um, are we going to talk about you cussing? Cause somebody wanted to talk about that, Emily, and I missed it's that. Pro- it's probably not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> somebody mentioned this. I thought it was important. The whole, like, and this isn't just a thing. It is like a, it's a idea, a movement. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. The abuse survivor community is finding their voice and it's, figuring out how to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Some people have been in the game for a long time in the fight for mm-hmm. a long time. And those that are just sort of uh, jumping in the pool and some people <laughs> know how to swim and some don't. And there've been some false starts, you know, even this last spring where there was some pushback against Julie Roy's leading her own conference because of some things that she had written, we have never talked about that on the show. Somebody messaged, messaged me to ask about that. And I thought that is a really interesting conversation to have because we're all sort of struggling with how do we be consistent and have integrity and hold our own selves, even those in the survivor space accountable. Um, and then also like, there's no rules here, right? There's like, there's no like playbook or like best cases, you know, this is the best case way of how to handle, handle this sort of thing. And Julie removed herself from her conference. Um, she listened to some people and I think she made the the decision that she needed to make so that she couldn't distract from the work that was the good work that was being done. Hey, I have not agreed with the way Julie has handled everything, but I have been thankful that she, it looks like she's failing forward. And I think it's sort of like what you and I said earlier, Emily, about, uh, are we going to make somebody run a marathon that hasn't run a 5k yet? And I feel like she's working on her running a mile and showing that she has the ability to run a 5k and has listened to pushback, even though initially there was resistance and defensiveness happening there. But I think all of us are trying to figure out the best way to do this. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, um, 
I think that the measure for me is going to be is like like you said kind of falling forward but I think the thing for me about it is that like what it is are they willing for it to cost them for them to to do better right Mm -hmm. and so that's what we see with Julie is that she she keeps demonstrating repentance that is costly to her not to other people and and learning that that is I haven't seen her trying to make herself an expert or say mm-hmm. that she does everything right or any yeah. of those things. And so, and so I, I think that the posture of the person matters a whole lot because, because none of us are going to do it perfectly, but, but if our posture is, how dare you accuse me? Like, yeah, then, um, then that that's different than, I'm still figuring out how to do this. Thank you for giving me grace. Help me do it better. Um, <clears throat> those those two things are really different to me. Um, and so and so, yeah. I mean, we want to have that. You know, I, yeah. And I think it shows the importance of having people in your life that are willing to say mm-hmm. things to you. Um, because I think we saw that play out. Like there, there was yeah. trustworthy people that reached out and said, "Hey, I love you. I love the work you do." I think you should talk to a counselor and I think you should get outside somebody outside of the situation mm-hmm. to talk you through this, to see if there's like a blind spot here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times we, we surround ourselves with people that would never tell us that, mm-hmm. that would just be like, you're great. Everything you do is mm-hmm. wonderful. You can't possibly improve. <laughs> and what good does yeah. that do any of us? Yeah. And, and I think that we, we kind of get in our head to like, we can either have accountability or grace, but like they're, they're not enemies. Like they're, you know, if, if we're, if we're talking scripturally, like they're, they're the justice and mercy are the same, right? They, they come together. Um, and, and so, and so we can, we can hold people accountable in, in a way that is specific mm-hmm. and, and has clear, reparative Mm -hmm. things that they're doing and show grace to them at the same time where we get into trouble is where we either say like you've messed up you're done or like you have to show me grace and I don't have to do anything to prove that I'm trustworthy like um and and so we always have this kind of false dichotomy there um that we see being played out over and over right and so I think Julie is is a good example of of letting those two things be together. Mm-hmm. Um and and then we have lots of examples of um of of kind of people like if, if Julie's response to that whole thing had been, I've been working all of this time, like I, you know, talked about what it cost her for to do the things that she did with James McDonald and like how dare you say that I don't do these things whatever like but that wasn't her response her response Mm -hmm. was I'm really sorry I like like here is specifically where I messed up Mm -hmm. here is specifically how I'm going to have accountability for myself Mm -hmm. in that and growth in that and then like you decide how to trust me in it no that, demands. That's, yeah. That's, I mean, you let the chips fall where they will and yeah. you see what happens. I mean, and, 
And that's a really different posture than, say, a mega pastor who stands on a stage and ambiguously almost confesses to nothing. Yeah. And then ambiguously is somehow restored for no reason. And if you don't just accept that, then you're the problem. Yeah. And that was a big, that was a big part of this year too. The whole Chandler or Matt Chandler situation at the village church that there was such ambiguity from the Mm -hmm. very beginning. We don't even know. And we don't know why Um, they didn't say it was to protect at the request of somebody that was less powerful or that had been Mm -hmm. impacted the whistleblower. Maybe we do not know because they did not communicate. The communication has been really disappointing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've, I, I, t- I tend to lean towards like, Hey, if they could have been more clear in a way that had made us understand and appreciate Matt's situation better, I think they would have. And I, it makes me wonder why they weren't more clear. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like it's possible and I could be wrong that being more clear could have cost them more in mm-hmm. regards to reputation of Chandler and others. And I, I just wish people trusted God enough that the gospel was big enough to be clear about the situation. And that, that makes me, it makes me sad. And then the same thing with Johnny hunt is that like, we have some pastor friends of his that decide, we know that we were just told recently that you had an abusive relationship with somebody, um, sexual abuse, power differential happening in this relationship. It's not a relationship. It was a <laughs> abuse. And, and friends of his are like, he's, he's good. He's back. He's back. Mm-hmm. And this is a pastor. These are pastors. When you work in a pastoral role, that it's different. And mm-hmm. I think this is a conversation we need to continue to have about what does it mean? What does accountability mean? What does it mean to forgiveness and restoration? And, and how does that work with, maybe you don't need to be a pastor again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, the 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 rush to bring people back on stages is just real sad. And it shows I think it shows a misunderstanding of of what being a pastor is all about. Yeah. Well, and I think also like the I I think the the real issue for me with the Chandler situation is the the pattern of TVC and of Acts 29 churches in general to try to control the narrative um, through NDAs, through just having the biggest, loudest platforms, um, all of those things. And so, and so when, when something is like, well, wait, this doesn't make sense. There's not benefit of the doubt because of your pattern. Right. And, and then again, to the posture of like, if you have a problem with this, that's because you like don't respect authority, hate pastors, hate whatever. And like, and really, um, and, and so it's, it like, I I think that you're right. Probably that it, if it possible to say more things, they would have because of the way that people were just like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, I think that there's, there's just such this institutional us versus them protectiveness that is so 
deeply, like I, I just keep talking about this in every story that we talk about, because I think it's, I, I think it's really the root of a lot of things that it's so deeply woven into us and maybe has always been there since, you know, like the, I don't know, like the scopes monkey trial days, like, um, of this, like this, this deep, like we have to protect the church. We have to protect the brand. We have to protect whatever. And like, it, it just is not our job to protect the church. Like, like nobody went and named us the Holy Spirit, like <laughs> not a single person. Yeah. And like, and, and like you said, it, it's a lack of trust in God, because if we really believe that Jesus establishes his church upon our confession of faith in him, and then the spirit seals it, and that nothing can stand against it, then we do not have to protect it, especially not from the truth. Mm. And so I think what happens a lot of times is that we say we're protecting the church, but what we're really doing is protecting ourselves. Mm-hmm. We're protecting our, um, we're protecting what we believe about ourselves. We're protecting our positions and our power, like mm-hmm. some of those people. But I think that we're also protecting ourselves from, from the hurt of bad things being true about people that we admire. Oh and, man, that's a word. That is a word. And so oh, what man. I think what I think happens is that people like us who have already had those things break, then we we already know what it's like to come out of that on the other side and so we're we're not it we know that it's going to be painful and we know all those things but like we we don't have to protect ourselves from it anymore. And so, and so that conflict sometimes I think is with people who have already had those images shattered mm-hmm. being like, okay, but like this, this thing that you believe isn't real. Like this, this person is it that they are not who you think they are, mm-hmm. that, that you don't know them, <laughs> that, you know, that, that, that a thing that we believed about ourselves may not be true. Like, yes, that is painful, Yeah, but the truth is still true. And so I think a lot of that tension and a lot of that people being like, well, you're, you just hate the church. You're just attacking the church, whatever. Is that like, it, it's, it's that, that fear of if what we're saying is true, then what does that say about them? Mm-hmm. And and that gets played out over and over and over again and people not being willing to hear the truth about other people because <clears throat> because people think because that they it, have a relationship sometimes with these people that they don't have. Well, uh, you know, Caitlin Beatty talked about that a little bit about the proximity yeah. thing. Like all we see is this thing mm-hmm. and, and we like what we're getting from these people, right? Mm-hmm. And we have this uh, this false relationship with them that's really one-sided. And then it feels threatened. I think that's one of the things. Yeah. And well, and it's the, I mean, part of it is, I mean, sometimes, and then sometimes there is a relationship there, right? Like, like, like not everybody goes to the village church, but people do (laughs) like, and, and so, and so like, yeah, like, of course, of course, those guys, it, whatever happened, like, of course, those guys don't want to believe that that it's something that's 
that's bad and and it's disqualifying of course those pastors that johnny hunt mentored and that they modeled their lives and ministry after don't want to believe that he is irredeemable because 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 we're connected to each other and it says something about us and and when we put trust in other people and then we realize that that trust is ill-founded what it actually does is rather than shaking our trust in them it shakes our trust in ourself like how how can i trust myself to judge what's true how can i trust myself to believe other people if i if i have been so wrong yeah and so and so it's easier just to deny the the evidence yeah, of, the implications are big that you could be wrong because the implications are big and and they are painful like i I have, I have been so wrong about people Mm -hmm. and, and like, and, and there are a couple of people where I carry that around every day and, and it affects my life. Yeah. People that we put in time for, invested in, defended, um, people personally, people that I knew in real life who, who were important to me, informative for me. Mm -hmm. And so and 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 that it it's a thing I carry, but like, but but I don't want to carry around a false idol of a person. Yeah, it it's not worth that, and and I'm not gonna be able to be like who I used to believe myself to be. Like I want to actually be that person mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be able to become that person by pretending that I always have been. Mm. And, and, and so again, it's, it's, do we really take the gospel seriously that we can open up and lay every truth bare and then trust in the power of Jesus to make us as we ought to be or or do we think that it's our job mm-hmm. to protect the picture that we have in our brain from from being shattered and and like I'm I'm just not interested in that. Another big thing, um, Grace came out with their results of their um, thing, the the Chris Wright Rice investigation. And if my listeners have not read that yet or paid attention to that, Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church in Kentucky. Uh, had, you know, it seems like somebody came to them and said that they had some abusive interaction with um, recording artist, Chris Rice. And because Tate's Creek had already dealt with a, a abuse allegation and investigation at their, um, their church, they did what they needed to do. And they once again, reached out to a third party investigator and it looked it the results of that that study were, it was long. It was, there was so many pages. I, I read through the whole Chris Rice investigation. And I remember when it first came out that like the first like reporting that we're going to be doing this investigation, come to us if you have any to add to it. You know, there are people that were friends with Chris Rice that were like, why are we talking about this? What if it's wrong? What if it's just a false allegation? And it became really clear to me after reading the report of why they needed to do this because of the access he had with his platform and the severity of the allegations that we were able to then read in the final report. 
that were horrible that, you know, parents had let their kids stay the night, their boys spend the night at his house. And, and the allegations seem very clear, clearly to be corroborated mm-hmm. that he abused these mm-hmm. many boys over a long period of time. And it was, I feel terrible for the friends of, of Chris. I feel terrible worse for the survivors mm-hmm. that, in families that trusted this person. But I feel like we've seen over and over again, the importance of an independent investigation outside of nominations. Um, You can have all the polity in the world and Mm -hmm. all the processes that. I mean, right now we're watching PCA and ACNA things play Mm -hmm. out in the news. And they have a lot of polity. They have, they have a lot of system and hierarchy. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we keep having like people are like congregationalism doesn't work because of the SBC. And there are particular hurdles to the SBC Mm -hmm. polity of of making real changes. That's true. um, And I talked um, to Pete Singer about, you know, investigations. He's executive director at Grace. And he said, if there was some allegations that came up at my own church, I would remove myself, even though I know all about the right way to do things. He says, I have been groomed. I've been groomed by that community. And I thought, you know, as much as they throw around the word groomer for real, when you have a respect and admiration for somebody who very often happens when it's somebody who is your pastor and it's the pastors Mm -hmm. that choose the, the ruling elders, right? They're Mm -hmm. part of choosing the other elders in the church that are part of these committees. Yeah. They're your friends. And of course they are. There's nothing wrong with them being your friends, but you cannot hold your friends accountable very easily when it's going to cost you something and them something. And it doesn't make them make these bad people because I think they think they're doing, you know, I think some people are doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. Um, Some aren't, Um, some are just like in any situation, but I think we really need more third-party investigator uh, organizations out there. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know of two and then lawyers and, and law firms that might do it here and there, you know, I know grace mm-hmm. and guideposts, but and the people that are like really trained on this sort of thing. The importance of, of an outside, um, of an outside investigation. I mean, like we already know that, right? Like in real life, we already know that. I mean, even like, how we choose juries, like, right? right? Well, like for example, <laughs> right now, like, there's an investigation about some state law enforcement stuff in Oklahoma, but the OSBI, the Oklahoma State Board of Investigations, is not doing that. The mm-hmm. FBI is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and 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 like it's like DOJ FBI, not local field office FBI, right? And so and so we already, you know, we already know that in life. And I think one of the things that we that we kind of get in trouble with sometimes is that we think like, well, the church is different. It's special, but like on the one hand, that's true. But on the other hand, like it, it's both a, it's both a supernatural institution and a human institution. Yeah. And, and, and all we have to do is look at history to know that the church is capable of every kind of corruption that every other human institution is capable of and because it's made up of human people and so and so we shouldn't have 
lower standards for the church than we do Mm -hmm. for other human institutions. We should have higher standards because the supernatural aspect of the church is so important. Right. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, again, it's a kind of deluding ourselves. Right. And, and so many of these things that we've talked about have been examples of us deluding ourselves Mm -hmm until a story becomes really bad so you can't you can't ignore it anymore there just yeah. keeps being like another drip another drip and then like the mm-hmm. the rush of like a waterfall of like okay i am standing right. here soaking wet i cannot say yeah. that i'm dry and that's how these things become news right if we were acting like if if we were doing right things in all of these situations then we would not have all of these news stories of big, huge, years-long failures and corruptions and abuses of power because we'd be keeping those things in check mm-hmm. before they got to the, to the New York Times or the Atlantic or the Houston Chronicle or wherever. Like, the, the, the thing is, is that when we, like, like the reason these news stories exist... In, mm-hmm. in these big things in the way that they do is because we let little things not matter over and over and over and over again and until like you said yeah the, the trickle became a waterfall and like if people are talking about a waterfall like that's not their fault a waterfall is there and it's loud yeah. and it's and dangerous and the frustrating thing is when you get to that point and then the people that were denying it all along want to do a retrospective of like how do we get here mm-hmm. <laughs> and you want to say because you weren't listening when we yeah. told you and you refused yeah. to see it it's not yeah. always like that but like it when those people are like okay now now i'm on this side speaking of that Let's mm-hmm. talk about Al Mohler <laughs> and Trump. Can we please? This I would is... love to so okay, much. So, so those that don't know, when Trump first announced his presidency, Mohler was very clear. He tweeted for all the world to see, which has been captured. to mm-hmm. never, ever, ever, basically, right? Never, ever, period. Period. And then he came out and supported Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was before he ran. Was, was it while he was running the second time? It was in 2020, yeah. Yeah, and so... He flipped on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are lots of people have talked about it, but his reasoning has has not really been uh, theological so much as, uh, I don't know, political. utilitarian. Yeah, pragmatic yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. But now here we are mm-hmm. as 2022 is waning. And Moeller, was it recently, maybe in the last month or two, uh, he wrote something really condemning Trump, mm-hmm. made it seem like like supporting him is like terrible. And now like, yeah. what happens if DeSantis doesn't get the nomination? What well, I like, mm-hmm. well, these people that have flip-flopped back and forth, will they mm-hmm. flip and flop again? It yeah. is so it's very predictable and, yeah, and frustrating. I, I think he is kind of a, let, let's say that he's kind of an avatar of of the of kind of the white southern evangelical psyche in which is where we live um that's right like our one of the things that he wrote in 2016 is that like 
if he ever supported Donald Trump, that he would owe Bill Clinton an apology. Because in, you know, in the 90s, like our, our whole ethos was character, character. matters, yeah. personalist policy, like, and, and all those things that he said in 2016 were true. And then, and then in 2020, he was like, okay, but we have to because of this other stuff. And then in 2022, he was like, oh, but wait, no, like, cause, cause it's, and, and so, and so what we see, I think is, is yes, utilitarianism and political expediency and, 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 and all of that. But I think there's another thing at work there, which is that like, all of us have have a tendency to convince ourselves that we're making principled decisions. Mm-hmm. And when it's clear that we're not, there hasn't been- I'm just been thinking a, how there we, hasn't think been we a are principled of, people, so our decisions must be principled. Right. And so there hasn't been a lot of evidence of, there's, there's no like saying, okay, I was wrong, right? There's just pretending like it never happened. Because if you have to reconcile with- being wrong right then you have to say okay i'm not sure if these decisions were what i thought they were oh that's a good point Um, because there was no there was no apology right um because we all change our mind on things so that's not the problem so much as right pretending like and so i think al's just like kind of shameless flip-flopping is actually like the whole white evangelical mind in microcosm right um of we're just gonna pretend like this is what we've always believed and what we've always said and like there's not going to be any kind of acknowledgement of of things changing or whatever and like and then at the same time calling that like fidelity to unchanging universal truth right Mm -hmm. and and so again like we're back to the self-deluding of like if we can just say really loudly that this is what's always been true then then we don't have to reckon internally with okay if i was wrong about this what else was was mm-hmm. i wrong about right yeah which is harder and and man it's it's a lot easier to go through life believing everything that you think and believe is based on objective right and wrong unchanging principle truth mm-hmm. it's harder when when you know that is there and you're not sure if you're always hitting it or not yeah oh that's good um yeah so also what happened this year brian houston stepped down did you realize that mm-hmm. it was this year i feel like I that was probably january it, it that's still sort of playing out document- did the Hillsong documentary come out this year? Yeah, I think it did. When it came out exactly, I don't remember. I think in the summer, maybe. Um, so, and then now he's sort of talking about starting his own thing. I think this is what non-denominational people do. But denominations, as we've already talked about, don't protect us from everything. Mm-hmm. RCIM, we had found out from Daniel Silliman's reporting. If you don't follow mm-hmm. Daniel Silliman, like he's he is doing investigative reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't a lot of religion journalists that do investigative reporting because there's a lot of work and you need yeah. like a job to support you while you're doing this. Is Andrew that he said know that, how to navigate it all? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's yeah, confusing. the 
if it's so not. he mm-hmm. actually we found out that it was because he was going to report on the guide posts posts reporting for the report from rzim mm-hmm. that in that was what was the push for them to be like hey guidepost did a report mm-hmm. <laughs> here's what they said but they were holding on to it they mm-hmm. held on to it for months until daniel they found out you know daniel was doing a report coincidentally Mm-hmm. That reporting happened around the same time. I think that's interesting. Um, also, you know, as I've talked about here, the Ramsey documents in the, the court, the lawsuit mm-hmm. filing there of having th- these leaders own words uh, in their emails and in their depositions saying mm-hmm. the most bizarre things. Yeah, it, it's that like, again, like shocked and horrified and zero surprises. Like, And then also the fact that I mean, it's not like we so quickly jump to the idea of like the talking about the sex aspect of these things, but mm-hmm. what is even bigger is the fact that organizations like Ramsey will take the word of somebody whose character is clearly not trustworthy because they have mm-hmm. corroboration and decide to still take their word for all these things, even when they hear it. And, and so they disregard all the other things. And there are other more serious allegations that were corroborated against Hogan than it'll make oral sex look like nothing. Mm-hmm. And still they chose to believe the guy that lied in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, if you haven't read the documents, I'll, I'll link to them. It It's all there. You don't have to take my word for it. It is crazy. Absolutely crazy. I think another thing that's happening in the world, and I think maybe we can end with this, is this online accountability that's sort of happening with pastors want to be influencers and share all their like quotes and like little quips and things. But then when people also publicly say, um, I don't understand this list of things I'm supposed to do in church to encourage my pastor. And I think it's weird that you called it a preaching event. They don't respond or they retreat to some other safe social media. I think seeing this like with Dane Ortland most recently, mm-hmm. we've seen it with Josh Howerton. There is this desire for a platform and a reach that you can get with social media, but an absolute resistance to uh, pushback and criticism. Mm-hmm. This is a thing. Um, and we've been personally involved in these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I mean, another recency bias thing, but like, I think that what's happening with Twitter right now um, is, is actually like a part of that story because it's been such, I mean, like, I, I don't know that last summer or last year, or whenever it was before that yeah um or maybe early this year I don't know time is a flat circle um I don't know that the EC would have of the SBC would have voted to waive um attorney-client privilege if it were not for Twitter so that that guidestone report um guide post um so that, that guide post, post report could be done right like I mean, people watching on Twitter, like watching the meeting and and tweeting at people like it's real. It's what's happening on the social and social media is real. And so so things like that, like where it 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 really matters. I mean, like I 
I I know Jules Woodson's story mm-hmm. because of Twitter, and and that was sort of what what began me starting to look at other things, and that was years and years ago. Um, and so and so things like again like having having institutions and and spaces where we can trust information um is going to matter but then also having having places where there's access right yeah access to information access to people um and and access to accountability um and so yeah and and so we see this sort of societal breaking down of of those things and then and then we see that in in how it plays in things like I mean for the for the survivor community social social media gave them a voice mm-hmm. that they didn't have and gave them a community and and an avenue that they didn't have to seek justice and so and so yeah those things that what's happening right now really matters in that yeah. work mm-hmm. um and yeah and so and again like you you see the dynamic play out of self-protection versus telling the whole truth yeah and we can and, see some of these stories change mm-hmm. as people interact i mean i remember having i mean this some of this came out of a conversation with some of the reporting on Andy Wood and seeing uh, a friend of his, somebody who considers himself like a friend, a buddy, Josh Howerton, question some of the reporting and question some of the things that I had. So I, I, I responded to Howerton and just mm-hmm. said, Hey, I have some questions about the use of NDAs and your experience with them. And he was pretty clear about what he was saying and what he was communicating and and he's like, never used any document like this, right? He said that for the whole world to see. And then I hear, we hear that they use a document just like that at his current church. And I hear from people that worked with him and in my town where he used to live and, and minister that he, you know, they use similar documents and the, the story keeps changing. And that would not have happened if it was not for social media. And not long after that, Josh decides, you know, to change his Twitter to say, you know, my team tweets for me and he retreats, he retreat, he retreated from Twitter to Instagram more. And, you know, I didn't want to, this wasn't a, like, I want to cancel Howerton. It was a, let's mm-hmm. be clear about this. Mm-hmm. And he could have said, yeah, I did that before I realized what a, bad idea it was and I was protecting myself and my church more than I should have mm-hmm. and I don't want to do that anymore like there is a way forward there isn't like a you did something bad and you don't ever get to come back from it there are, that's not the way the conversation goes I mean I think some people would say you can never come back from that but you know NDAs aren't the same as sexual abuse it's not the same mm-hmm. it's spiritual abuse it's power abuse but mm-hmm. you can own that in a way and and come back from that in a way that isn't the same and but it takes a while yeah. it takes a while it takes some and you can't just expect someone to take your word for it when you've shown yourself when there's evidence that shows that you have been untrustworthy or abusive yourself it just takes time and uh, yeah social media has shine is shining a light in some of these dark places and i mm-hmm. see those with power to lose complaining about that calling it the mob bragging about being canceled and 
that's not that's not it that's not what's happening i i think everything that you just said is right and i i think that the the other thing is that like there's um again like we're we're watching all of these things that are issues in the larger culture then play out um in in the evangelical subculture and in the church and and one of those things is ndas like we just had a law signed um to protect um whistleblowers from ndas and so like it's going to be interesting to see um because employment laws and things like that kind of are a little bit different Mm -hmm. um, for religious institutions so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out yeah Um, but um yeah yeah it's i mean there's a lot of things that are ongoing that will be we're going to watch and see what happens as we Mm -hmm. go forward a lot of things happen in the world. I think a big thing also was the um, the succession plan with Saddleback and Andy Wood, and mm-hmm. then Lori speaking up and going on the record with her mm-hmm. experience with Andy Wood. And I, she has agreed to come on the podcast. Actually, um, two of the Lori's that spoke up this this year, Lori Harding and Lori Adams, Adams. Wood, mm-hmm. um, both of them are going to talk about that experience speaking on the record. Um, you just don't know what's going to happen when that occurs, but it started a really interesting conversation. And uh, as you know, some things that transpired in that were really disappointing, but better to know the truth and be disappointed than not know it all. Um, I know there's a lot of bad things happening. There's a mm-hmm. lot of good things happening too. But like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, like, I think we can become better people we don't have to just become cynical and we don't have to, it's not like Emily and I only look at bad news all day, every day. Yeah. There is, there's more. Yeah, no, there's, I I think that, um, I mean, if we had hours and hours to sit here, like, like I just saw a new story today of a Lutheran. I, I don't know if it's a synod or a church or like, a I don't know how, I don't know Lutheran rules. Um, but <laughs> that they are, they're building a housing development yeah. to, to, to address homelessness in their area. Like, that's an awesome story. Like, I would love to talk about that story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, and there's, there's a whole bunch of other things that, that we didn't really have. I mean, the, the Methodist schism that's happening and, and how, you know, that balances with the American church and the global church and, and, and different ideas of what it means to be liberal or progressive or conservative, like in, in Africa as compared to here and things like that. Um, And the small things that we just don't know about the difference that the church light being on and the door being open makes like Bob Smetana said in his book, like there, even when we want to burn it all down, there are some real benefits to having that door open. Yeah. Even with all the mess, there are individual lives being changed. And I'm not an ends justify the means person. I'm a, how can we continue to have lives changed and, and lean into Jesus and the Holy spirit doing that work while throwing the ugly out. Yeah. And, and I think a good way to look at it is to look at it as a sanctification, right? Like if, um, like, Curtis Chang talks about how um, institutions also bear the image of God because they're made up of 
of image bearers. And so, and so in the same way that we individually want to be more and more formed, um, by the spirit into the image of Jesus, right. As, as we grow and mature and, and, and have things revealed in us and, and all those things, like also want that to be the case for the church, right? Like that, that's the idea of Semper Reforma, Reformda. It's that mm-hmm. like, it's that the, the church itself is also being sanctified. And, <clears throat> and so we don't look at these things as, as attacks against the church, but as God revealing things for the sake of our sanctification. So it's that an opportunity. We can, mm-hmm. So that we can become more of what we're supposed to be. And so, and so we're not being conservative or being progressive, but we're 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 pressing on to being more of who we are. And and that's gonna that's gonna sometimes look like different things. And um, but but yeah, looking at telling the truth about ourselves as as a first step in sanctification but but again like if we're going to take the gospel seriously that can't be all that we're doing it then there has to be repentance and restoration and 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 change um yeah and and the proof of of the spirit at work there and so and so yeah sometimes those good things just like in a person coexist with all these other things that we've talked about, right? And so and so it's not that we set them up against each other. It's that it's that we reveal things that we can root out so that those good things can grow and flourish and make us who we're supposed to be. I like it. That's a good way to end this conversation. I hope you enjoyed this extra content. If you want access to more Untangled Faith, join us at patreon.com slash untangledfaith. That's patreon.com slash untangledfaith.